Alright guys, it's another top 10 list time. You know what that means. Uh, we're going to hate ourselves in a couple of weeks when we look back at these lists and realize we left a lot of stuff off. Uh, my name is Darren, alongside me as always, my longtime companion. It's almost a common law marriage at this point. My buddy Phil. Say hello, Phil. Hello, Phil. And even Thanks more along with me, uh, Gary, for, I don't know, like going on 40, 50 years at this point. Gary, how's it going? Oh, swimmingly. And you're swimmingly. doing the yeoman's effort once again for us with uh, very short notice, but pulling off some amazing stuff is our buddy Mark. Welcome back, Mark. Hello. Nice to be here again, and I think I, I'm falling short of Gary. I'm only out for like 25 years now, so. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're pretty close, though. You're pretty. You're closer than I, 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 I like to admit. Let's put it that way. Um, so tonight, we are going to talk about our top ten favorite artifacts of joy let's put it that way things that we have um that in our memorabilia catalog that really are the ones we hold the most dear um last summer in a mat or i should say the summer of 2020 uh phil and i went in a massive hunt for content and gary joined us uh we ended up talking about the white whales of uh, things of the, those pieces of memorabilia that we considered attainable, um, so it's something like not Action Comics number one, but something we felt like it was attainable that had somehow still eluded us. And we also talked about um, some of the things that uh, you know we we regretted getting as soon as we we got them and wanted to toss them back. But this time around. We're going to talk about those things we, we, we feel fortunate to possess. We feel honored to possess. Those things that mean something to us. Those things that we, even when we look at them today, no matter how many times we look at them, they're going to bring us a smile to our faces. Um, and that's, we're going to start off with a few honorable mentions. And to do that will be Phil. Phil, go ahead. So my honorable mentions are large things, such as my comic book collection that is just growing infinitesimally that I need to do something about, uh, you know, there's only so much space in the world. My board game collection, which only half sits next to me in this room, the other half is in my kitchen on really nice shelving units. Um, my video game collection, those types of things. But uh, before I jump too deeply into this, it was something I was talking to the guys about off mic um, through our endless text chain, that I find that I'm not as big of a large item collector, so... All the things that I really dove into were things that had large pieces of memory to me or that means something to me or have some sort of life connection to. So I'm going to dive right in to my 10 through 6. My number 10 is I have a 100 books to read scratch off like a lottery ticket poster for um, my, my reading habit as an English teacher. I love to read. And it's all these books that I should have read at this point in my life. I have scratched off maybe 20 of them. I need to keep that going. Um, my number nine is I have an original PlayStation 1 still, one of those old school gray push the button and the top flips up. That is chipped that I can play burned PS1 games on. Um, it's pretty awesome, but sits in a closet for the most part. Um, I have a really cool container. This is my number eight really cool container of all of my childhood toys. I showed it to Darren probably four years ago or something like that. Lots of like old 90s X-Men toys, lots of Age of Apocalypse mixed in. I think there's like a Michelangelo and Leonardo with like parts of their turtle bodies missing. 
Um, it's just lots of memories from my childhood. It was a terrible episode to listen to because it's Tim and I playing with your toys. Yeah, yeah, I brought quite a few in, but, you know, they're great to look at. Um, my, I didn't number these, so number seven is I have a Spider-Man and a Kirk Connors lizard busts that sit on top of my bookshelf in my comic book room. Uh, they're little guys, maybe six inches tall. Um, really cool looking though, uh, really high detail and everyone knows my love for Spider-Man. Um, something that once we move and I have a uh, comic book room, I could see myself expanding on. And my number six is something that has a little bit of emotional connection. Uh, right after I got divorced and I was trying to read a bunch of comics, Darren, good old Darren over there, gifted me the um, Spider-Man Blue run. And it is one of my favorite uh, Love Sale books, and it just has a really deep emotional connection for me and will be something that will always sit in my collection. So that is my 10 through 6. Oh, well, that's Gary. very touching, my friend. Um, yeah, you made it on there, buddy. And as everybody knows, everyone agrees that Tim Sale is one of the greatest comic artists of all time. There is no one who feels differently. So that's a good one to have. I'm, I'm not going to rise to Darren's bait. <laughs> well, you're not the. We've had this problem. Like we've had debate. Like Phil and I are big fans, and we may be the only ones. Like in our circle, we are. We're getting. We get. We get people that disagree well, with us frequently. To I me, know it's one too. of those. I, I get why people like Tim Sale's artwork. It's just not for me. It's not like people that rave about Frank Miller's artwork in The Dark Knight Returns. And I look, I'm like, that number two cover where Batman looks like he's crammed into the corner taking a crap. It's I, I don't understand how anybody tells me that's good artwork. Whenever I, I don't whenever, get it. Whenever I hear people say something about Tim Sale, I point out the Hulk Gray image of Hulk sitting underneath uh like alcove with rain pouring down in front of him and he's just alone and how unbelievably beautiful that is. And same with that one with Superman sitting on the edge of his bed as Clark Kent. Oh after he's done all these things and he's just alone. He's praised to Superman and earlier, oh man, Tim's, no. We can't get into Tim Sale. We can't get into no, Tim Sale. Right? It's, yeah. it's too... it, it, he's great. It's just, he's not my thing. I can yeah. acknowledge there's a difference between I don't like it and it sucks. Fair. I, that is a completely fair argument. I'm not going to go down that road, Mark. Right? I, I agree. <laughs> there are artists I feel the same. Gary? Well, one thing I discovered when I'm compiling this list, um, in the event something horrible happened to my home, uh, there is a lot of stuff that I own that I don't think I would bother replacing. I get a lot of, I don't want to call it junk, but I think I need to consolidate my little bits into some better stuff. Okay. My number 10, um, I purchased in 1998. I think um, my first daughter had just been born. I bought it off of eBay. It was labeled as a movie theater version of the Transformers, the movie poster. So the full size that you would see out at a movie theater, um, bought it off of eBay. I got it. I had it professionally framed. You know, it's like vacuum packed. And this thing has traveled with me, you know, to any apartment or home that I have lived in since. Um, 
It's number 10 because I don't really know if I can verify that it was actually used in a movie theater or if it was just a later reprint of the same size. Number t number nine, um, I have a graded Gem Mint 10 rookie card of my favorite baseball player, Jim Tomey. Not a lot of story to this. I was a big fan of his, you know, growing up in my formative years. He was the, you know, big farm boy slugger, kind of who I wanted to be during my baseball years. Um, you could get one on eBay for like 20 bucks. It's really not very valuable. But again, it was my favorite baseball player. I have a perfect rookie card of his. Number nine. My number eight. Um, this is on the list. Again, this is something that if you really wanted to get it, you could. But I am one of those card collectors that still busts packs. You know, so um, I recently completed the Transformers action card set. Um, I think it was from back in 87. And it was just within the last couple years that I found a unmarked second checklist, which was the last card I needed to complete that set. So the reason it's on this list, again, not that it's super valuable, although the unopened packs are fairly expensive if you can find them, there was a lot of effort and time that I put into this. So it's, it's always been in the front of my mind. My number seven... Uh, granted, I, I spent a lot more time with this when I wasn't married. And I used to, I'm of course referring to my Willie. Um, I used to take him to bars, throw him up on the bar, take him to work, just lay it out on my desk. Here, let me uh, show you guys since you got the camera here. Oh, no. Oh, here he is. Yeah, we don't see him. Although, okay. <laughs> Willie. everything about that. I know, that's why I did it. Groundskeeper Willie from the Simpsons line. Phil, I think you meant, I ate it! <laughs> <laughs> if I could do an accent, I would have. Um, yeah, no, this is one of the toys that I actually took out of the package. Um, and this thing traveled with me everywhere. Darren gives me crap every time I try to get someone with this joke. You know, I leave him sticking out of my pants pocket and someone sees him. I'm like, oh, you're looking at my Willie again, aren't you? You know, I think it's hilarious. Darren's sick of it. But Willie the Gardener from The Simpsons, in all his glory, is my number seven. That's my not, number six. That's not the one I'm sick of. I'm your dirtiest player in the game one that you've tried for ten years and still hasn't landed is the one I'm <laughs> sick of. I don't know if that, that's landed. Well, okay. Belly flopped, but it landed. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, my number six, uh, another sports card. Uh, I have a Jim Kelly USFL rookie. That is probably gradable condition. Again, uh, ungraded, you could probably get one of these for a couple hundred bucks. Um, I've seen like grade nine and above going for four figures. Um, I was a big Bills fan when the Browns were gone. And it's just a little bit of rarity to it because it was a USFL set. Not as many people collected it. So that's my number six. And finally, my number five. Nope. Uh, something I got. Don't do your number five yet. No. No, we're going to rotate. Five through, oh, five through seven. Never mind. I'm done. Darren. Yeah, so I'm going to re-add one of my honorable mentions since you uh, brought in some sports memorabilia. Last, My last birthday, I got an Indians jersey, and it's uh, from when they played in Detroit in 2017 during the Negro League's uh, celebration weekend. 
So it's a Cleveland Buckeyes road jersey game issued Corey Kluber. I have Corey Kluber's jersey from his actual jersey from that weekend game issued because he didn't start that weekend. He just was in the bullpen. Um, so that one, I, I love that thing. And uh, that, that to me, when I turned it over and saw number 28, I was like, oh, my God, that's Corey Kluber. Um, geeky jerseys. Gary, you've uh, you've fallen into some of these mostly because I made you. Uh, I have a bunch of those. They're just so much fun to look at. Uh, my Indiana Jones fedora from Disney World in the early 90s. Um, Star Trek, the original series Blu-ray set, and the Star Trek, the next generation Blu-ray set are my honorable mentions. My number 10, my original working Atari 2600 still endures as my favorite video game system. It's the only corporate logo, um, that's not a sports team that I will allow myself to display on my body. Um, my number nine, original art. I have Aquaman art from Martin Edgeland. When he lost his uh, hand and had a hook and he became the king of Atlantis. And uh, I also have original Batman Mask of the Phantasm from the creator of Into the Darkness. Both gifts from friends of mine who have the initials MZ. Interestingly enough. Um, <laughs> that person is actually joining us on the podcast today. And my other one, <laughs> other one is from my buddy Mike who also has the initials MZ. My number eight, Jim Steranko, Indiana Jones production art, signed by Steranko himself. As I chatted with him, I already spoke glowingly of this experience. It is, again, the guy could not have been more of a gentleman. It, it, it was just an amazing experience. It's like when you meet one of those guys and you're, you're kind of hesitant to do so. I mean, everything you wanted someone like him to be and more. I mean, people talk about how... Uh, you know, warm and fuzzy Stan Lee was, well, he couldn't hold a candle to Jim Steranko when I met him. Um, my number seven is my Christmas ornament collection. I started getting one a year of these from my parents in 1992 when Hallmark began their uh, series of, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, the very first one I got was the Next Generation Enterprise, and it has grown to include entries from Star Wars, Batman, Soups, and a whole host of others. And my number six are my number ones. Uh, I'm very fond of a couple of number one issues I have. Most notably, I have Werewolf by Night, number one. I have Tomb of Dracula, number one. And I have Conan the Barbarian, number one. And I also have The Eternals, number one. So in those issues, it's just like Marvel in the 70s is like one of my favorite periods of comics. And it's just... It's like Marvel in the 70s was what DC in the 80s was. Um, and I just, those horror comics, and just to have like those, it's just, to me, I just, that's comics history, and I, I love having it. And it was fresh <laughs> off of all the uh, the censorship from the uh, Wortham trials. Ben Eternals, number one, is going to skyrocket in value in the coming days. Well, yes, I know. Assuming that movie isn't a turd. Doesn't matter. Movie's coming out. It'll still be worth something. <laughs> it'll continue to go up if the movie's good. If it's bad, it'll go up until the movie. And then it'll tank. Well said. <laughs> oh, collecting. Yeah, researching this kind of hurt because I, I started thinking about all the things I used to have. You know, that <laughs> sold off. Oh, yeah. My oh, entire yeah. Wolverine run, my Deadpool run. My uh, X-Men number 14, First Appearance of the Sensibles that's now gone. I think I cried a little bit when I thought about my original Star Wars figures that my mother sold at a garage sale for a quarter each. Oh. 
Uh, well, Mark, what do you got? I, I still want my Rancor back. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for my honorable mentions, I ended up uh, whittling my list down because I've got a lot of cool stuff that I love, and I tried to refine it then to mostly pop culture items because that gave me an easy top 10 within the time frame I had to come up with this. So I cut out that I have an actual Spinosaurus tooth that displays in a glass container on my desk. It's usually the highlight of when I was working in an actual office. People would come from downstairs manufacturing to see it. So that was always a fun one. And uh, that's probably my only runner up there that didn't really make the cut. Outside of that, uh, my number 10 is my 118th scale 1989 Tim Burton Batmobile. Type they used to sell at the Sharper Image back in the day. Uh, the only reason it is that far down on my list is because it was a gift from my ex-wife. <laughs> so uh, it can't be anywhere near the top five just based on where it came from. <laughs> but um, it's also so awesome. It's got the machine guns that pop that rotate out of the front. It's got the uh, the front engine pulls out, the cockpit opens up, steering wheel works. Like you turn the steering wheel and it actually moves the wheels. So it's great. I can't bring myself to get rid of it despite its origins. <laughs> uh, number nine, my copy of Transformers number five. The iconic issue that I know Gary and I both love with Shockwave standing on the cover saying, it says the Transformers is the title and our all dead is etched into the wall with his laser <laughs> cannon arm. As, as Gary is showing in the comic. Yep, that's the one. It, it's I, I love that I still have it and it's still in great condition. Uh, number eight, Palisades used to make a line of Muppet toys back oh, in the day. I love these. And uh, my prized out of those collection is I have three things out of the Muppet set that are I could not decide between any of them. I have the Swedish Chef's Kitchen playset, which has more accessories than any toy thing I have ever bought in my entire life. It has dishes. It has food. It has forks and utensils. It has rolling pins it's got everything you would expect to find in a kitchen i have actually been looking at that uh toys time forgot down in canal fulton has one of those that's oh, amazing and it's like I, I, chef is my spirit animal he, he's going to be one of my next two or three tattoos <laughs> um, and there's not a whole lot of stuff of his out there so yeah every time i go in there i, I pass it and i just yeah, I, I hear you. When things go wrong on my computer at work or something, I have been known to blurt out things like, Who's going to film me, film me? So, uh, you know, it's fun. And then I've got the Muppet Labs playset because Beaker, one of my other perennial favorites. I mean, Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker came with it. The Muppet Labs looks awesome. I, I don't remember the robot rabbit that came with it, but um, I'm sure it has something to do in there. But it's got an awesome table you can strap Beaker down to and stick a little electroshock helmet over his head. And he looks properly terrified, so he's beautifully sculpted. I can I look at that shelf and I constantly just hear that coming out of it in my head, and it's great. And then uh, years ago, along when they were doing that, they had a San Diego Comic Con convention exclusive two-pack of Muppet Penguins. And I've never been to Comic-Con, but I was delighted that they actually sold some of those online and held some back. And I was able to get in on that and get to get a set of two shipped to me. So those three Muppet toys are an even tie for my number eight. Number seven, I mostly collect DC things. I have a few Marvel things here and there. I have some Spider-Man stuff. I have a War Machine Marvel Legends I bought that just looked awesome and was on clearance. But my 
one of my prized ones I love on my shelf is my Marvel Legends Stan Lee figure. The sculptors who did his face just did an amazing job capturing his look. I even bought a set of furniture. One was for my Bumblebee so I could have him crashing on a couch like in the movie. And the other was for Stan Lee so he looks like he's in a talk show. It's a little armchair and he just sits there comfortably up on my shelf. And number <laughs> number six, my full-size Witch King blade from The Lord of the Rings. Nice. That thing is taller than I am and looks glorious on its wall plaque sitting there. It is just, I know it's a showpiece. Uh, I have several combat-ready blades. Um, I have practiced martial arts in the past, so I know the difference. This is not something I would fight somebody with. But by God, does it look awesome. You What's that? Price range. Price range on how much it cost. <laughs> uh, back when I bought it, I got it on sale for like $120, but that was a long time really? ago. Really? <laughs> I was expecting much, much more. It, it was initially, I think, like 200 and it was clearanced. Wow. Okay. Uh, we friend of mine and I found them at a flea market in Cincinnati, and they had deep discount them. They were legit. They were not knockoffs. And uh, he bought, uh, I forget what the reforged version of Narso was that Aragorn carried. I can't remember the name of it. Okay. No, I was expecting much, much, much. And then I, I bought the Witch King. So, yeah, I think at their height, they were between 150 and 200 bucks. but this was also 20 years ago, so inflation. Uh -huh. Nice. And that's all for mine. All right. Number five. So my number five, it's more about what this stands for for me. This comic book proved to me that a superhero that I could care less about can have a stellar comic book run that can really prove that any superhero written correctly can be the best thing out there. And that is my full run of Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David Aya. If you have not read it, which I know Darren has, uh, because I made him, um, it is hands down the best Hawkeye run that I've ever run into. Makes me more willing to read Hawkeye comics. Um, and there's a whole issue through the perspective of his dog. So there's no actual dialogue in it. And it is a fantastic issue. Um, but this thing, it, it means, it means something to me. I mean, that whole time that comic was out there, it was on my like picks. It always, it always came out strong and made me absolutely love it and makes me incredibly excited at the potential of a TV show based loosely off of that run. So my number five is the Matt Fraction, David Aya, Hawkeye run that I first prints of tucked away in my comic box. Gary? Nice. All right. Well, what I almost gave away before, my number five, um, I have played Magic the Gathering for, I don't know, probably since it came out. Uh, my, my brother is much more into it than I am. But, you know, I've got a couple decks, you know, that I will occasionally travel with if I know there's going to be a game breaking out. Uh, a number of years ago, they had teased the release of a Transformers trading card game. And as a promotion at one of the cons, they put out a game legit Magic the Gathering card of Grimlock. 
Let's get it up here at the camera. It is a legit Magic the Gathering card, double-sided, of Grimlock, the Transformers T-Rex. Um, my brother picked that up for me for my birthday a couple years ago. And again, I think it makes its place this high in the list because of its rarity of sorts. Um, you know, it is not something that was commonly available. Again, if you want one, you could go out and find one. But, you know, it'll cost you 100 if not more at this point. But again, it took two things I loved and brought them together. Sort of a Reese's peanut butter cup of nerddom, I guess. Transformers, Magic the Gathering, boom. So that's my number five. My Grimlock, Magic the Gathering card. My number five is my collection of original Masters of the Universe action figures. And I was so close to selling these a while back. I loved them. My love of those things never wavered, but I felt the need to purge. I mean, I I had gone through, you know, the death of my grandmother and, you know, having to go through all of her stuff and what a, you know, and it, and it kind of got me thinking like, this is just junk. I mean, it, you know, you have the internet, you can look them up. You can, you know, I would have kept probably Skeletor and He-Man, but it was just time to purge. I got rid of a ton of stuff. I sold it. It was, I felt fine selling it, but I held on to those. Because I wasn't sure I was ready for those. As those meant, maybe not as much as some other things, but they were real up. They were up there pretty high. Um, and I didn't want to force them on Lily when she was little. And I didn't want to force them on CJ. I figured I'd let him find his own way. So they sat in a box for a long time until summer 2020. Um, and boy, am I glad I hung on to them. Because I'll never forget working in my basement, trying to rearrange some things. You know... I hate clutter. I just hate clutter. And so much of our stuff, just the stuff we love, just it is kind of clutter, right? So I was trying to figure out a way. How can I, um, how do I justify this? How do I acclimate myself to loving these things and finding a place to store them where I don't feel anxious when they're, you know, I'm sort of surrounded by this stuff? Uh, but I were in a clear box, a clear plastic bin, and I look over. And CJ's watching television. And I know I have a moment to move that box. So I moved the box, right? And it was like one of those, he transported from there. He's standing right next to the box. Daddy, what are those? I'm like, oh, well, I'm in trouble now. So I opened him up, and he immediately was like, whoa. It was just a whole box of all these colorful characters, and he didn't know who they were. And I had forgotten I had the very first season of the DVDs um, in there. I don't even remember getting them. So they were there, and he's like, "What's that?" I'm like, "Well, that's a cartoon. Let's watch it." I was, I mean, I was gonna give them to him if I was. I was just gonna let him decide who's who. But he's like, "Uh-uh, I know this is something." So we ended up started watching the the original filmation Masters of the Universe cartoon. He played with those toys. We got down on the floor and played with those toys for the entire summer, and we still do from time to time. Like. He, one of the first things he wants to do is play Masters of the Universe. We watched that cartoon. I had to go out and find the other three volumes of the, the Filmation series because he, we watched through all of those other cartoons. And I'm like, all right, I'm sick of watching the same episodes over and over. Um, and I ended up, we ended up tearing through that entire, entire series, which is over 100 episodes, I think, in that summer, watching them. Probably watched them all twice. And then... Um, they released, as Mark well knows, they began, Mattel began producing 
updated versions. This is like they've got so many versions of these, but for whatever reason, these versions of the new He-Man characters, they're perfectly sized that they fit inside all the old classic vehicles. They look exactly like their counterparts. They just have more joints and more uh they're they're a little bit more more well made. And I just now I'm going to have these memories of Masters of the Universe figures playing on the floor with my son. And what I'm even going to do, I'm going to I have this case, this display case I didn't know what to do with. Well, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have a line of them on one shelf that's going to say Daddy 1982 and then I'm going to have a line on another shelf that says CJ 2020-21 and it's going to be the you, you juxtapose the characters and, and that it's all CJ. He did the whole thing, man, and it's just been so much fun watching him run around and as Gary can attest like if you ask him to be He-Man, the first thing he does is take off his shirt, takes off his pants cuz He-Man only wears underwear. He takes a sword I gave him that I got it like a circus and he shoves it in the back of his underwear and then he'll pull it out going by the power of Fiskal. It has just been an absolute joy to play Masters of the Universe with CJ. Wow. I, 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 I've seen where he man. It's like he, he uh, throws himself into the character completely. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I'm not as into Masters of the Universe from back then as Darren was. I loved it as a kid, but Transformers were more my thing. And then G.I. Joe after that. But these the new Masters that they're coming out with, the Origins figures are amazing. I've been buying the crap out of them. I spent way too much on a flock Panther from eBay last week. <laughs> so, yeah, I get it. Uh, my number five is uh, following along the lines of my Witch King blade. Uh, i.e. things that I can wield and bash people with. It uh, it doesn't look as magnificent perched across my shoulders as the giant Witch King Blade does, which makes me look like a Final Fantasy character. However, I do love my Force FX lightsaber collection. My favorite is the Luke Skywalker blue lightsaber. I love that thing. The sound effects, the way it changes pitch when you move it, the battle clash sounds when you smack it on something. I also have the Red Darth Vader, and I recently acquired the first edition of the Purple Mace Windu, which is more of a lavender pink, but I'm not going to hold that against it. I have the Luke so, Skywalker. I got it. I can't believe it. I got it for 50 bucks on eBay. It's in great. It's got like a small dent on the blade. Other than that, it's in great condition. They're, they're amazing and fun to play with. You oh. Put, oh, you put fresh batteries in it. and video, it looks like a real lightsaber. I Because it was 50 bucks, I did it. And as soon as I held that thing in my hand, I was like, oh, my God, this is the real deal, man. And those things it's, are awesome. They're amazing. I love the three that I have, and I'm looking very forward to October 1st because I have the Darksaber on pre-order. Is that, so uh, what's, The is Mandalorian, that, oh, Clone Wars, Rebels. It's, I, I'm looking forward to October ruling Mandalore. I have a question since you know this is this could air at any time so we we sort of dated it so but since we're we're in that round have you checked out what do you think of that one they're going to have at Disney World uh where the blade actually retracts by this point you may actually have one but let's suppose <laughs> that you don't at this moment what do you think of that thing well that that information one everybody keeps saying where are you going to buy one you're not going to buy one I guarantee it this is this is a uh, proprietary technology 
for the experience you're going to do on the cruise ship where you're lightsaber dueling and training. So you don't think it'll it's, be available? I don't think it's going to be something that's available. It's a very If you look at um, years ago, they filed a patent for this technology, and it uses a lot of projection mist and things like that. It's not something you could replicate at home if this is what the same patent is. Oh, wow. That's good to know. So it, it's going to be an effect for an experience I think I've equated this before to people that it's like going to play laser tag and expecting you're going to take the vest and the guns home with you. Okay. Well, let's uh, either that's, have... and I could be totally off base. I could be totally wrong. God willing, I am wrong because that would be awesome to have. Well, but that's my understanding of it. When Matt <laughs> listens to this, whenever this will be, he's either just had his heart broken or he's already got one in his hand. So we'll see. <laughs> well, for his sake and mine and yours, I hope I'm wrong. They do look really cool. All right. Number four, huh? Yep. All right. Number four, another gem in my comic book collection. Darren, you were with me when I picked this up. We went to a Black Friday sale, and I picked up one of the things that made me realize how much I loved this comic book author. What do you think it is, Darren? Deadly Class. Deadly Class Book One Hardbound Collection, collecting issues one through sixteen of Deadly Class, which is a fantastic, fantastic timepiece comic uh, that takes place in the eighties about an assassination school. Um, but it hit at the right time, and it's really, really, really good storytelling. And a comic that I still it's still ongoing. Um, I still read today, but it was my introduction to it and it kind of cemented how much I appreciate Rick Remender as a writer for his own stories. Um, he's written some very, very good things for Marvel, uh, notably X-Force, but the things that he writes on his own, uh, Gary's reading something right now by him, uh, scumbag, uh, Death of Glory, all these things that have popped up because of him. Um, but Deadly Class was the thing that really cemented it for me in this hardbound collection, which, by the way, now markets for about 100 bucks, which is not what I paid for it. Um, it's just this unbelievably beautiful collection. It's the only hardbound graphic novel that I own. And it has a very special place for me. And it was the first Black Friday sale I went to at uh, Carolyn John's and it was a highly needed outing for me at that time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of extra things co- like connected to it more so than what it is, but man, it is a beautiful book. Uh, Darren, you've seen it. Yeah. It, it's beautiful. I would show it to you guys, but it's upstairs and I'm not running up there right now. So number four is my deadly class book one. All right. Well, my number four, um, now we're getting into the uh, meat and potatoes of my collection here. Uh, my number four is my Transformers Generation One Reflector. Um, this was a Series 3 mail-away release. Um, Reflector made an appearance in the first episode of the G1 cartoon. The toy looks nothing like the character in the show. Uh, he is the reconnaissance officer he uh three individual robots that transform into a 35 millimeter camera um oh yeah this was like i said this was a mail away and when i found this 
at you know, toys time forgot. Um, and as I said in the Transformers special, it's not that this was a unicorn for me, but I just never expected to see one. Yeah. Um, and when I saw one, as I said before, I took money that I shouldn't have spent that was supposed to be for other things, and I bought it. So this is number four on my list because of its rarity and just the the, the pure shock and joy of actually being in its presence, I guess. Um, so it is probably displayed in my, my cabinet over here. But it, it is uh, unique in itself. Like I said, it was a mail away. I don't even, I don't know how many people actually went and purchased this. I don't know how many are actually out there. But I would have to imagine this one is probably a little more rare than most of the other figures. Anything mail away is, I mean, that's, I leaped on the, uh, the exclusive they did for the Siege line where they repainted their reflector in the original toy mail away colors. And I gladly, I gladly paid through the nose for that because I knew I'd probably never get my hands on the original. I didn't realize that Thundercracker was also a mail away. I mean, I, I have a couple of posters hailing around, like hanging around, you know, from the, uh, the checklists, I guess. And for some of my Decepticon paperwork, there was a Thundercracker, you know, just the base Thundercracker was a mail away as well. I mean, yeah, you found them in the stores, but. Yeah, maybe initially. And I'm looking at the prices on these things like, man, I should have bought like 30 of them back in the day for what they were charging. $3 shipping and handling or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So, again, my number four, Transformers G1, Series 3, Reflector. My number four um, are some photographs. And these photographs uh, were from Wizard World Cleveland 2015 for Valentine's Day 2015. Maria took me to Wizard World Cleveland. I didn't even know it existed at that point. It somehow had escaped mine. And let's be honest, we're three years into the podcast at that point. How we didn't know this was happening and feel uh, slightly embarrassing. Uh, but I hadn't been to a proper comic book convention since Gary and I had a misadventure to the Pittsburgh Comic Book uh, Comic Con several years earlier. <laughs> she made a homemade Valentine's Day card with Captain Kirk informing me that I would be going to the Comic-Con and I had a pass for a personal experience with William Shatner. He had a panel discussion, a Q&A session, which we had VIP seats for. We saw him speak about how, at, at the time, <coughs> he was 83, and he had just completed a documentary in which he rode a concept motorcycle from Chicago to Los Angeles. That's astounding. Um, during this event, he he spoke so eloquently, and I used to say that, you know, actually my buddy Tim used to say that if there's anyone in pop culture that understood his place and what it meant, it was Mark Hamill. If there's anyone who denied it for a while is William Shatner. But over the past 20 years or so, he's figured it out. He knows what where he where he is places. He you know he was famously a little bit brisk for a while uh, about Star Trek. Um, but during this event, he admitted to being somewhat tired of Star Trek questions only because he's been answering them for 50 some odd years, which is why he often gives phony and jokey answers. 
Um, he was often heard remarking about things that in his acting style. And he goes, well, I'm terrible in everything I do. What did you expect? <laughs> um, he uh, is very frank about his relationships with other cast members and admitted his fault in the rifts that had formed. He spoke of how much he missed James Doohan and DeForest Kelly, with whom he was very close. He expressed sadness that his best friend in life, Leonard Nimoy, and he had grown apart and asked us to keep him in keep Nimoy in his thoughts as he had known that Nimoy was in very ill health. Two weeks later, Nimoy would pass away. And something I would never forget, because he was at sometimes really happy to be there, very genuine, and he also had this sort of sadness about him, which you can kind of pick up on. Um, uh, and it's also just the fact that I'm 83 and the next thing I'm going to do is ride a motorcycle from Chicago to Los Angeles. I'm like, hey, okay, man, <laughs> I don't know how felt well I would do now if I did that, let alone when I'm 83 years old, but you know what? That's why he's the captain. Um, he spoke very often that fans always come up to him and say how much he's meant to them and how much they needed him. And in recent years, he goes to convention and often replies that he needs them too. And I kind of wonder if he needed us that day. Um, we got to have our picture taken with him. I remember walking into the booth. He was all smiles. I said hello and thanked him for being such a huge part of my childhood and beyond. He looked at me and said, did she get your confirmation sheet? That's what he said to me. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it was it was a great experience. I mean, I don't know what else you would have wanted out of it. You, I, I have a picture of William Shatner and Maria and I have William Shatner. That's kind of awesome. Um, I also got my picture taken with Neil Adams that day. I walked up to his table. No one was there. He was just setting up. I let him sit down. He kind of looked up. I saw him. I walked over, said hello. He was... Very nice, and asked if I wanted to have my picture taken with him. I was like, of course. Um, he's like, well, who do I pay? She, he said, well, she's not here yet, so don't worry about it. So he let, me get, he let me come behind his table, sit down next to him, and have my, Maria take my picture with him. He didn't, didn't, didn't charge me for it. Um, Neil Adams, by the way. Um, I remain jealous of that picture to this day. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's one of the – and it's funny. Like, I've spoken about the Jim Steranko thing. It was $20 for the lithograph, $40 for the autograph. He didn't charge me for the autograph. Uh, so I, I just forget to mention it. And they also had the 66 Batmobile there, which I got to sit in and take my picture in that with uh, Lily sitting on my lap. So those pictures from that Comic-Con, I was like, man, I met William Shatner. I met Neil Adams. I sat in the Batmobile. Come on, man. That Those pictures are just, they're just so priceless to me. And those are my number four. For my number four, I almost jumped ahead to number three. I'm getting tired. <laughs> my number four is parts of my G1 Transformers collection. And uh, a lot of them I've lost over the years. I don't know what happened to some. Lost in moving boxes over many moves. Uh, others broke. Others were never had in the first place. <laughs> and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, the two that mean the most to me out of that collection are, one, I finally completed this past year my original G1 Dinobots collection and finally have all five of them. And there is a traumatic childhood story about why I only had three and why I hate sludge. But <laughs> um, I won't relate that here, but there was a lot of emotion 
when I finally had the fifth one open and on the shelf and saw all of them together. And uh, it was just a very emotional moment for me. The second is uh, also related to a childhood trauma (laughs) and uh, resulted in me having a lifelong lacking of the really awful Duocon flywheels. And this thing is a tank and a plane. And you push the plane into the top of the tank and it pops up and it is the worst transformation ever. It is the dorkiest looking figure ever. But when I was a kid, I wanted one so bad. And something happened. It didn't come to pass. I never got my hands on one. When the uh, Siege line came out again, they redid that character. And so I bought that. But it felt kind of hollow because it wasn't what I wanted as a kid. And thanks to an awesome guy who was joining us on the show, Gary, um, that need was finally fulfilled. He was kind enough to know of my story and send that to me. And it meant the world to me. And again, opened it up, found that inside, and lots of emotion. So it was one of those where it was a deep-seated childhood want that had finally been fulfilled. And it was also my adult self turning around and giving the finger to my parents 35 years ago. <laughs> so those, those meant friend, a lot to me. And making a new friend for life. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. I've got my Transformer buddy now. Yeah. Somebody I can actually talk to who understands and listen, and, you know, listens without being forced to, like my wife. Oh. <laughs> she listens. To be fair, she is very patient. She listens. She try, She takes interest in it. But I know she doesn't care. She's just being nice. <laughs> I will be perfectly honest. I, I knew there was some backstory to it, but I didn't know it was that deep. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad I uh, scratched that itch is shallow, but... Yeah, someday I'll share the whole thing with you, but no, not tonight. Don't, don't, don't rush. <laughs> All right. Oh, jeez. All right. Man, got to follow deep emotional connections with my number three. My, my number three is from my first free comic book day at Carolyn John's Comic Book Shop 2016, the year before we recorded there for the first time. I lucked into VIP tickets because one of my buddies won the drawing. So we were able to be behind the scenes, walk around, get in there first, get all the comics, and also get our hands on the Carolyn John's comic book brews that they do for their free comic book day. And I still have my two bottles of 223 Pale Ale that has Hawkeye shooting Ant-Man on his arrow. And Wakanda Wheat Ale with a incredibly smiley Black Panther on it. Um, I don't have the bottles with me, but I can send you guys um, a link that takes you to Carolyn John's webpage. And you can scroll down a little bit, and there are pictures of what are on the bottles um, on there. They're hand-drawn things. Obviously, it was from the time frame of Black Panther and uh, Civil War coming out. So it was relevant to the films happening at the time. Um, and that was the year I started talking to John, the owner of Carolyn John's, and kind of got our feet in to do this podcast there. So those bottles have a lot of meaning to me. They are my connection to Carolyn John's and why I still go there. Um, so they just have a lot of, I mean, they're literally just old school giant like pint bottles of uh of beer empty obviously um with those uh labels on there but they mean a lot to me and they're worth pennies 
but definitely something that is on my shelf. Gary? No, I, I just went to that link and looked at those and scrolled down to the artwork. Those are amazing. Are those are cool? fantastic. I, I'm i jealous you have them. Yeah, they're awesome. It makes me really happy. Is that something they do every year? Yeah. Every year they brew their own beer with a brew kettle. and That's I figured where it's through. But yeah, yeah. They, they go and they brew them themselves, and they tend to be quite tasty. If you go through mm. their catalog of like old Carol and John's uh, free comic book days, they have pictures of all the stuff that they've done. When we were they're there, always I... twisted. When we were there in 2019 recording, uh, they were just passing them out to us too, because <laughs> we were we had a, we are situated right by the bar, right. which was awesome. We got so much free food that night. Uh, it was uh, I don't know how the later episodes we did three episodes there. I don't know how those later ones sounded because I never really had the guts to go back and listen to those. Yeah, we but, definitely tagged out and took turns going to the bar. So uh, yeah, it's and that was just the two of us too. So. Mm, yeah, maybe maybe if we get our opportunity to go back, we can drag two other people with us. Yeah, you know, Phil, you're right about that. It's the fact that we go and we're able to record our podcast. It was like 1,500, 2,000 people there. I mean, and like people are just stopping by, mm-hmm. coming up to us. It's just, it's so awesome. I mean, it's just in costume, out of costume, want to know what's up, just saying hello. Oh God, that I'm, I'm. Uh, yeah, we we didn't get to go in 2020 for obvious reasons. I don't know when this is going to air, but I hope I hope when it does, we've we've had the opportunity to go back and do it. Absolutely, and I mean those bottles. Not only you know they they remind me that that's something that we do, and it was my connection to the shop before we built a professional relationship with them. On top of it all, those live shows that we do there could be easily my number one. Just the experience. It's so so much fun. I mean, it's, when we did it the first time, we had no idea what we were doing, and it just worked. You and I were so winded, we kept running up and down the aisles. Yeah, it was like, oh, there's more people over here. Oh, God, that's so great, Phil. So that's my number three. Wow, okay. Um, my number three, This I think I acquired this item in, I'm going to say, 1999. Um, my daughter who was born in late 98 was in a stroller. Um, I was in a new family, you know, my, my, my wife at the time, our brand new daughter, I was still in college, uh, had a full-time job and money was tight. This is when I was selling things, my comic collections, my, my toys, my card sets, Hard Hero in the uh, recent BotCon that year put out a cold cast porcelain statue of Unicron from the Transformers, the movie, the animated movie. Um, I'm trying to remember how many meals I skipped or bills I floated or overtime I worked to afford this, but I had to have it. We actually went to a BotCon up in Michigan somewhere, and I put an order in for this thing, and it was later shipped to me. Um, and from what I heard at the time, half of the bot, half of these porcelain statues that were sent out arrived broken. There, there's a lot of uh, thin, spiny-type parts on it, and mine is in great condition. Um, it wasn't really until about two years ago that I even took mine out of the box 
because everywhere I've lived, I've had cats. And I knew as soon as this thing got put out somewhere, it was getting knocked over or one of the children was going to get it. And I finally have a cabinet downstairs. I don't know if you guys see over my shoulder. You could probably see the head. He's standing oh, yeah. there. I see it. Um, about 14 inches tall, cord, cold cast porcelain. They were only numbered out of like 2,500. And like I said, half of these things I were reported arrived broken. So I don't know what the actual population of these things are. But like I said, it was something I had to have at a time where I had no right having it. And it has traveled with me in its box. And I can finally now proudly display it. Uh, so as my Unicron statue from Hard Hero from the DotCon. As my number three favorite memorabilia item in my possession. I love that thing. That looks great. Um, I'm going to try to move this along as quickly as I can here because I know we got a lot to go yet, but this is super fun. Calling an audible here at number three because Phil sort of reminded me of something, so I'm going to have a, a tie. I hope you understand why. And the, 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 I just want to talk about that night that Phil and I had the very first time we recorded at Carolyn John's. We also did the Cleveland Public Library like an hour before we did that. We were insane. We, we ended up getting like... We had the opportunity, and we realized these things were on the same night. We somehow, I don't even remember how it happened, Phil. We got tickets to go to the Cleveland Public Library's opening of the Superman exhibit, which was way more involved than we ever thought it was. and just an absolutely amazing experience. Just go look up the Cleveland Public Library Superman event. It was, and we went from there. We got a ton of interviews from there. Everyone was wonderful. Stood, again, stood literally looking at Action Comics number one, like right there. It was a brush with immortality. Then racing on over to Carolyn John's to do our first ever uh, live show was just incredible. And it, I remember when we pulled into the driveway and there's like literally a thousand people were like, oh, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> and it worked great. People were happy to talk to us. So that's part of it. And my other one is the Christopher Reeve ticket stub. I got to see him speak at Kent State back in April 2003. The man spoke of hope, leadership, optimism, and friendship. He was in every way, shape, and form the embodiment of his most famous character. I took my mom, and we both found him engaging, funny, really, really funny. I'll never forget, at the end of his speech, he opened the floor for questions, and the first few were about his activism and how he galvanized his personal tragedy into a force for hope. And finally, after about five to seven questions, he looked out in the crowd and said, So... None of you have Superman questions? At which point, dozens of hands went up. He answered as many as he could, and he stayed true to the theme. And he goes, whenever I played that character, I thought, who is he? He's a friend. Superman is here. He's a friend. He's here to help. It was a very touching moment. I framed the ticket stub along with the article from my college newspaper the next day. It's one of my most uh, treasured possessions, and I went with my mom. So that's my number three, the Christopher Reeve ticket stub. All right, my number three is a bit of an oddball, but still fits the pop culture. Uh, my number three, her name is Lucy, and she's my car. Oh. <laughs> I drive a, a 2019 Plum Crazy, which is metallic bright purple Dodge Challenger, I painted the wheels bright green. It matches the sublime green Dodge Challenger. It is decked out with a license plate personalized with Joker and even a green background plate, thanks to the state of Arizona. 
and a sticker on the back that says straight out Arkham. It is my Joker mobile. It is my dream car. And literally every day I climb into it and get out of the driveway, I cannot believe that this is my car. I've had her for a year and a half now. And I still reel every time I start the engine. I still cannot believe that I've come to this from a 1984 Ford Tempo back in the day. And just, you know, of course, last year with the uh, pandemic, I bought the most expensive Halloween prop ever and there was no Halloween. (laughs) I I love that crazy color. I've I've got a charger myself and I've I've been looking at some aftermarket paint. Mm. Because my, my charger is just black. And I just. Yeah, oh my God! I, I not, you've got the Batmobile and he's got the Joker mobile. Indeed. <laughs> and one of my fun stories about that was there is a kid that frequents a store near us that I've seen his car a few times. He has a silver little hatchback. I forget what exactly it was, but silver car, red racing stripes, and he has a license plate that says Red Hood. And oh, so when wow. he saw my car driving down the street, he came in through traffic, got in behind me, and followed me into a parking lot because he desperately wanted pictures of our cars together. Oh, that's cool. And we finished it off, and I just looked at him and said, so, does this mean I have to find a crowbar now? (laughs) And he just cracked up. He thought that was the best thing ever. Until you pulled one out of your trunk. and (laughs) And then beat him mercilessly to an inch of his life, yes. <laughs> oh, that's my number three. Very nice. Number two. We're getting there. I do want to see a picture of that car, though, Mark. I, I, I need to see what that looks like. I will send it along. Phil, can you move closer to your mic? Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, uh, my number two Amazing Spider Man number 700. Um, this has double meaning for me. And, um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know I did a retroactive review read of Amazing Spider-Man number one through 700. And my goal was to be completely caught up by the time I got to number 700, which I was. This comic leads into one of the coolest runs of Spider-Man that makes absolutely no sense and it should not be as good as it is. Superior Spider-Man where Doc Ock and Peter Parker switch well, Peter Parker technically dies, but it's a whole thing where Doc Ock is in Peter's body. Um, again, that is Superior Spider-Man. You should check that out. But 700 is an extended, long issue um, that leads up to this final moment that they've been building for for like 80 issues. And it's just this unbelievably beautiful thing. Not worth a ton of money, probably 50 bucks or so at this point. But just having that and knowing that that was my end cap to that incredibly long and emotional read of spider-man with how much of a fan i am um it seems hard pressed to not include it on this list since i don't have a lot of collectibles um beyond comics so that is one of the ones that stands out so my number two amazing spider-man number 700 well my number two is my uh collection of nfl tops football sets um i have a completed well okay the 1975 is not but i have a completed set of nfl football cards from 1974 until 2015 when they stopped printing them because tops lost the license uh this is one year for every year of my life 
Um, these are things that I held on to when things got tough, you know, when I was selling off everything else along with my original transformers collection, this was the stuff that I just would not let go of. Um, so it just years and years of work. I mean, I've got, I hate, I hate to say like, again, I was a, a pack buster. So I put my sets together that way. So I have a lot of doubles, but I also have, you know, some valuable stuff in there, you know, Joe Montana, Walter Payton, Peyton Manning, you know, just people, you know, hall of famers, but so it's unfortunately just kind of uh, taking up room on a shelf now. Cause like I said, they stopped making them in 2015, but it is um, a passion project of mine. So my NFL tops football sets from 1974 to 2015, my number two favorite memorabilia. My number two is my Batman 66 collection, or more accurately, Batman, which is, you always see it now, Batman exclamation point. So I, that's probably how you're supposed to say it. Sure. Um, and uh, but what I'm including there is the Batman 66 Complete Series Blu-ray set, the DC Direct Batman cowl, and the DC Direct Batman utility belt. Our podcast launched just ahead of the brief revival the series received once all the legalities were finally worked out. Of course, things are once again cloudy now that Disney owns the rights to the series. The Blu-ray set is the only official home release, and I got it as a Christmas gift from Maria about three years ago. It only had a short window of release to obtain it once Disney purchased Fox. With well, it's worth it quite a bit now because you know it was a, they they put all that time and effort into it, and then they finally released it once all the legalities worked out, and then whoosh, Disney swooped in, and now. It, they don't, it's not out there anymore. I mean, you can get it on the secondary market, but it's not like you can't just go on to Fox and like get it uh, or Sony or anything like that. Um, it's just, to me, it's still weird to say that Disney owns such a significant piece of Batman. Um, I guess I'm kind of hoping one day to go to Disney World and see that that 66 Batmobile come around the corner in a parade. Can you imagine, how much of a big middle finger would that be to WB and the DCEU, right? Come on. That would just be like pop culture's biggest middle finger of all time would be a bat, the Batmobile from 1966 <laughs> driving down Main Street in a Disney parade. You People would be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that would just be... Who would drive it? Oh, you'd have to have some cast member in the in the Adam West suit. Come on. Um, Burt Ward's okay, available. Man. I'm sure he's available. <laughs> He'll do it. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just... It, that Batman, it predates Star Wars and Masters of the Universe and Superman the movie. Adam West and Burt Ward's Batman and Robert are the earliest anchors to my childhood. They fueled the discovery of my own imagination. I feel fairly confident saying that Batman was the very first character I ever imagined myself play acting. I made my own cardboard cutouts of the Batman mask, which in my mind's eye rivals the prop replica, but pretty sure it was probably barely recognizable as Batman anyway. As for those prop replicas, the cowl and belt, when Maria and I found out we were having a boy back in 2016, I'll admit, wasn't too long before I began plotting exactly when uh, CJ and I would be going as Batman and Robin. I even tried building my own cowl replica to less than mixed results. 
Then I saw the DC Direct had launched the life-sized replicas built from the original design specs for both the cowl and belt, and I literally went, oh no, oh god, here it comes. I managed to score them on eBay for a pretty reasonable price. It's weird, because you know you have the, the display box, the really graphically heavy collector's box, and then you usually have that box as like the outer shell. It's called the shipping box, and then it actually comes in another box as a shipping box. So they didn't have... They, the, the, the thing said, the, the eBay lot said, we don't have the outer shell or the shipping box. I'm like, I don't care. And then they, when I got them, they had the outer shell shipping box. So I got the full thing. Um, it comes with a Batarang, too, which I always forget. And combining those three things, you have are what are among the top artifacts in Batman's history. If you have that cowl and you have that bat, Batman utility belt and you've got that Batarang, you're possessing some things that are at the top, at or near the top of Batman artifact history, for sure. Um, and when we were walking around as Batman and Robin, I made his a little Robin costume. I actually have it hanging up on my wall. Um, people just love the fact that it was Batman and Robin. And when, when most of the, like, some of the adults saw that it was Adam West, Batman and Robin, like, oh my God, that's incredible. Um, it's such a great memory. Um, the memory of me being running around with CJ and he had just learned to run. So he's running around his little capes flapping in the wind. It was, it was so much fun. And that, so my number two, as my Batman 66 stuff. I'm going to say the most surprising part of that story to me is that there were design specs for that cow. Yeah, that thing is, uh, they showed <laughs> it, it. It does, you got to admit, it looks kind of cobbled together. I think it was an as-built. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because it wasn't cobbled together, but they didn't have a whole big budget, so they had several actors try out for Batman and they just use the same thing. So it doesn't actually fit Adam West at all. He had to like put tissue up in there and like so that's why it looks cobbled together. It's also funny that they they there's a version out there you can get that's purple because in the later episodes of the series because of the studio lights the costume had started to turn purple. But I'm like no no no, I just want the blue one. That's fine. <laughs> all right. Well, my number 2 is uh all right, well, no surprise, I am a huge hardcore Disney fan. And uh, growing up, Disney was a huge part of my childhood. And out of all the characters, you've got Mickey's the nice one, Goofy's the dumb, funny one. I always found Donald to be the most relatable one because he's deeply flawed. <laughs> he gets angry when he shouldn't. He does things that he regrets later on. He does things that characters in those cartoons don't generally do. He's the one that's kind of a jerk. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. He is a jerk. He's not kind of. He, he's absolutely a complete jerk. And, but that made Donald more relatable to me. So Donald Duck has long been my favorite. And a long time ago, and I missed out on these when they were released, Disney had a set called Chronological, and insert character name, there's Chronological Mickey, Chronological, Chronological Goofy, Chronological Donald. I missed out on these. And I found out they existed a couple of years ago, and I made it my goal to purchase all four Steelbook sets, which is effectively all Donald Duck cartoons produced. And so set one, I think the production run was something like 150000 You can find them on eBay, brand new, unopened for 30 bucks. Oh, wow. Not a problem. By the time you get to set four, the production run started dropping. So I think run four was between 7,500 and 10,000 pieces. 
So I kept looking and looking and looking for a set. And I just kept going through and going through. And I had a seller I approached with an offer. I made a buy it now offer. They turned me down, made a counter offer. I thought that was still way more than I wanted to pay for it. I made a last ditch counter offer. We were at a friend's birthday party when I got the email that my offer was accepted. And I just jumped up and screamed, yes! And everybody's like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> and it was, uh, it was just this feeling of happiness inside that I now own all of the Donald Duck cartoons I grew up on. Not one of them is lost to me. Now, of course, I can probably find them all on Disney Plus for free, but <laughs> or for $7 a month or whatever it is. But it doesn't beat the feeling of having the steelbook with the specialized case, and each one has materials inside, poster replicas, etc. And those are just, it's part of the experience. So that's my number two. That's really cool. Wow. All right. You guys ready to bring it home? Let's do Let's it. Let's do this. Number one. This is my most valuable comic in my collection at this point. Uh, and it's from since we started doing the podcast. And that is Edge of Spider-Verse number two. First appearance of Spider-Gwen. Something that was initially looked at as something that would be incredibly stupid. And nobody thought that she was going to blow up and be one of like the biggest new characters in Marvel in years not only did she end up getting her own comic book series which was also quite good but showed up in the edge the the spider-verse film that blew everybody's socks off and was one of the main characters um so of course this comic just continues to grow in value and it's actually a very very cool read it's interesting to see Gwen on the other side where Peter is the one that gets killed and she's the one with the spider powers. And it's it's a fun read and it is just really interesting and hard to believe that a comic purchased after 2010 is worth hundreds of dollars. Uh, and it's just sitting in my collection happily forever. So that's my number one. Edge of Spider-Verse number two. Very nice. Jared? Hmm. So my number one is my graded copy of Action Comics number one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> my biggest property that I am a huge fan of, and this is no surprise, is Transformers. And I am, I cannot pick my favorite child. But I am going to lump together my Transformers series one collection. So this is the first batch that came out. This is, these are the toys that I got at my 10th birthday party. These are the toys that have traveled with me for the last 35, 36 years of my life. Um, well, granted, not all of them. Optimus Prime and Megatron were purchased later in life because, as I've mentioned before, I had friends and neighbors who had Optimus Prime and Megatron, so therefore I wasn't allowed to get them. Yeah. So, but my Transformers collection, um, I'm not going to lump the whole thing in there because if push came to shove and I had to, for whatever reason, unload some things, I could part with some of these. But the main batch, um, th those are those are uh, getting buried with me, I think. 
So my Transformers Series 1 collection is my uh, pride and joy of my collection. My number one memorabilia item. Gary, my number one is... Whoops, sorry. No, no, you're good. I'm done. Uh, Gary, (laughs) my number one is very similar to yours in terms of the emotion tied to it. My number one is my Kenner Star Wars collection. Um... When we did our White Whales of Memorabilia, I had the Micro Collection Millennium Falcon at number one. Uh, After chasing it for nearly six years, I have since acquired it. I had a very similar experience to you, Mark, with that eBay. I had the eBay thing set. I don't know, did you you do the saved searches so whenever something would pop up, it would alert you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did that, and every time one would come in, you know, I would, uh, I would, I would jump on it and try to make an offer, and I lost one. It, I one of them went out, went out, went beyond my price range. I had a, a number. I'll never forget. This was last summer. I'm sitting on a couch next to Maria, and I made an offer of two hundred dollars for this thing, which is so far below what it what it, what it was going for. I lost it at six hundred at one point. Um, I wasn't going to pay that much for it, and it was accepted. And it was a complete version, and I I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I almost crapped myself. I mean, I was you're, like, "Yes!" You're, you're wondering at that point if you're going to get a bag of plastic beads and get scared. I <laughs> have never tracked something in the mail so hard in my life. I couldn't believe it. Like I remember when it was coming to arrive. I I think I was like I kept looking out the front door because it was during the summer, like to see if the mailman was coming. And the worst part about it was. Um, not the worst part of like I was playing with CJ at the time so I knew it arrived and it was just sitting there like burning a hole in my front porch for like three <laughs> hours and then when he finally went to bed I raced down the stairs and I opened that thing up and I couldn't believe what I found um, but that's when I recently acquired I have so much of my original three and three fourth inch Star Wars action figures I have so many of them I'm on a mission to try and complete that uh, collection with reason. I have a ton of the vehicles and playsets, which I'm going to give to CJ this summer when we watch uh, when we finally watch Star Wars. Um, and he's getting the whole playsets, but those three and three fourth action figures in the micro collection, those are mine. Um, I actually think I, I I'm now that I have that Falcon, I'm pretty sure I can complete that Kenner micro collection because that that's the that's the hard one to get. Snow speeder's a tough get, um, but. I that stuff to me more than anything it was my childhood it really was I mean Batman started it with Batman 66 Star Trek and pro wrestling were there as well before Star Wars but then once that hit it was kind of like oh this is for me like Batman people had Batman before I did people had Star Trek before I did people had pro wrestling before I did but Star Wars was made for me and that's mine now um so I I have them in a display case I I just get such a kick out of holding those things sometimes and they are just I know that they are in terms of action figure technology they're about as rudimentary as they come with only five movable, movable joints if you include the neck um, and I've seen like some of the stuff that's out there now even the same three and three fourth inch action figures have many many posable joints and I don't care I will take those you know I'll shoot my guns, basically having my arms straight and uh, looking like you just ran yourself into a tree. Uh, <laughs> a ski. You just skied yourself into a tree so your limbs are just at a 90-degree angle all the time. And I, I will take that over 130 points of articulation and uh, actual real working something or other. 
give me those three fourths of uh, injection molded plastic every single time. Yeah, but you got to give them credit. That lightsaber gimmick up the arm was pretty cool for back in the day. Yeah, it was, and I can't believe I'm so I was surprised they jettisoned that after the first uh, wave of figures. Yeah, that was that was way better than just something you stick in their hand. I thought it was really well. Yeah, because you actually held it like a sword. You can sword fight with them. Yeah. Now you're Defense. holding your lightsaber at a, a literally a ninety degree ninety degree angle. So I always had to tape mine to their hands to make them actually fight lightsabers. Mark, bring us home, my friend. All right. Well, my number one is an even tie between two things, both Disney related, both gifts for a birthday from my wife. The first one is a wonderful little statue called Self Portrait, and it is Mickey Mouse sitting on a stool, and he is looking in a mirror, and he is sketching a canvas for a painting, and he's got his array of art supplies and paints, but the sketch on the canvas is Walt Disney's face. I think I've seen at least a picture of that. And it, it is a statue based on a painting. That's cool. Yeah, so it's one of those that, one, Walt Disney's my hero. And so that was very special to me. But two, as an artist, I know that when you create a character, it's a facet of yourself. And they become interchangeable at a point. And so that was very poignant for me, and I loved that she bought me that. The second one is for my first birthday that I spent with her after we got together. We went to Disneyland. And she booked me on a tour called the Waltz Footsteps Tour. And you had a tour guide and a headset, and they walked you through the park, played clips of Walt pitching the rides before you went on the ride. And then they would talk about the production of it, the creation of it, how it came to be. And so the whole thing was basically walking you through Walt's pitches for these rides before you went on them. And so, again, with him being my lifelong hero, that meant a lot to me. And at the end of the tour, um, if you've been to a Disney park, you know they do pin trading. And it's a very, very big thing in the parks that you have these pins that you trade back and forth, with cast members with other people. People wear them on lanyards around their necks, and everybody's crazy about the pins. I don't collect them, but they gave us a pin that was part of a very iconic photograph that was taken where it's early morning before construction started. It's Walt Disney walking through the tunnel at the center of the castle. He doesn't realize he's being photographed and he's just kind of looking at the park and the pin commemorates that in a little enamel pin form. And so that is on my laptop bag and it will be on every bag I ever have or carry with me. That's, that's my number ones. That's awesome. That is really, really cool. Yeah, they, they mean the world to me, and it shows that I married the right person. She gets me. <laughs> that way. Oh, wow. Well, guys, this was fun. I'm I'm still I'm so happy I was able to get a list together because I was struggling for sure. You guys definitely have uh, a lot of things that mean a lot to you and that you've been collecting for a oh, long time. Uh, but you're all older than me, so I still have time. You know. <laughs> This is one of those things we got to remember we we did years down the line. If we see something that we're trying to acquire and we're disappointed, we're not sure if we should get it, we should listen to this and say, oh, actually, you know what? I'm fine because I have a lot of cool stuff already. Right. Well, with that in mind, this was fun. 
these top tens are always great and a good way for us to kind of get some of the extra stuff out of our system. But I'm sure we will be back very soon with another normal episode. But until then, enjoy your comics.